Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Raja Burroughs. Raja is an actor from L.A. He's also very interested in like living a holistic life. We have a great conversation about change, masculinity, femininity. It's awesome. Please check me out on Instagram at NoorKidY. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. So check them out too. Guys, let's get into this week's episode. My guest this week, Roger Burrows. Hey, welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Roger Burrows. Roger, thanks for joining me, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, I think we're into a lot of the same stuff, so I think we're going to have some good conversation here. I, I do want you to introduce yourself to my audience, though. You you have like a lot of stuff that you've. Uh, I got a lot of. I got a lot of stuff that ha, I do. Ha, 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 yeah, you. Uh, so I don't know. Give a little bit of uh, just a quick bio of yourself yeah. and all the stuff you dipped your toes in. Totally. Uh, I'm Raja Burrows. I am a Los Angeles-based actor. That's like my main thing. But being an actor in 2021, and certainly in a post-COVID 2021. Um, I'm on a, a number of different platforms. I have a podcast. I'm on TikTok. That's been sort of my main sort of creative thrust right now. Um, I also am a musician. I play the guitar. I sing. Um, I have a lot of different outlets for my creative energy that I just sort of like to follow and see where the flow is. That's uh, I don't know, that's really nice. And like you were also in like musical theater and stuff like that beforehand, yeah. right? Yeah, I did New musical York. theater in New York for 10 years. Damn. All right. And like, how did, how did you find like transitioning from like uh, one art form to the other? Was it just kind of following your intuition? It, yeah, it, it was the sort of thing. It's really interesting because I grew up doing a lot of musical theater through circumstance. Um, my dad played in a band and I sort of grew up around music and singing and it became really evident really quickly that for whatever reason, I just had a really good sense of pitch and singing and rhythm. And like me singing at age three or four, like I didn't sound like a yelly kid singing. Like I had pitch and intonation and I, there was something there. And Albuquerque at the time, it still does to an extent, uh, but certainly in the early nineties had an unbelievable community theater uh, that did musicals. I'm talking like Neil Patrick Harris is an alumnus, like did shows with these people. Freddie Prince Jr. did shows with these, like. Okay. Yeah, no, it was like a super legit, like very professional high level community theater. And I was like, you know, we, we had the resources to, help, you know, have me audition for shows and do dance classes and whatever. And that's sort of how I got into performing in general. And then when I was about 15, I realized, oh, I want this to be my job. Like I want to be some kind of performer professionally for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I 
studied opera in college and did musical theater and moved to New York. And I realized pretty quickly, if I'm being honest, that I didn't actually like rehearsing for musicals. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be something you would need to like, right? <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I remember I, I was about three years in and there was my intuition, which I didn't follow at the time, was telling me like, my man, you don't actually like this. Like mm. this, this isn't fun for you. I loved auditioning. I loved auditioning. It's my okay. favorite thing in the world because you go in, you prepare your own material it's like, these are my songs. This is what shows me off the best. This is how I'm feeling. And there's a real like um, industriousness to auditioning. And it felt very much like a job, which going back to what I said before, I wanted it to be my job. So I love basically the inception of the creative process in you know doing a show, which is the first audition. Mm-hmm. And I loved it doing the show so I love the beginning and I love the end, but the rehearsal process was just a nightmare for me. It was, it felt really chaotic. I didn't ever understand what was going on or the flow. I couldn't track the flow of energy. And it was just a really hard, it was just really hard for me mentally for it to feel like something I wanted to keep doing. Mm but I kept doing it for another four or five years because I was going for the promise of, well, once I make it to the next level in my career, then it'll be better. And then I get to the next level in my career and it wasn't better. And I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I was wrong. It's the next level. Yeah, that's yeah. Be and um, there's a woman who is named, her name is Katrina Lank. She's a... Tony-winning Broadway actor, incredible, incredible woman. And we did a a workshop together. We did a project together. And it was a day at the rehearsal. And we were kind of, it was one of those days when just everyone's a little off, Mm. right? And it happens in any job. There's nothing you can do about it. It's the ups and downs of life. But everyone's just like a little underfed, a little underslept. We're all just like a little chippy and not as patient as we could. We were working on some bit of choreography and just nothing was coming together. And they were changing stuff and changing stuff. And it just felt really to me unprofessional because I don't mind things falling apart and not knowing what we're doing, but I do mind when we aren't handling that well, when we don't have a clear authority figure that's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this and this and this, we're going to set this, we're going to move on to something else, and then we'll come back to it once we've had a little more, come back to this after lunch, something. And I remember I turned to this woman, again, who at this point had already been on Broadway, and I was like, Katrina, I have a question for you. You've done a lot of different kinds of projects. What is the difference that you have found between projects that are sort of, not amateurish, but sort of low-level, low-prestige kinds of projects and projects that are like Broadway and that you win Tony's for, what's the difference in that process? Just because that's what I want to do and I just want to get a better understanding of the industry. And she looked at me and she said, 
The only difference is the money. Mm-hmm. The process is identical. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think I was 20 seven at the time and I was like no 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 that can't possibly be what no but I mean like the process she's like I know what you mean it's the same nothing changes except for the dollars in the contract Mm. and I didn't understand what she meant at the time and then once I did it a few more years and did another you know more range of projects I was like Oh my God, Broadway veteran Katrina Lank was right about Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And uh, that's a, yeah. And so when you found that out, I guess, like that's when you were like, I need to make a change. Yeah, yeah, once that really sunk in and it was, um, I had just booked. So it was sort of in the, in about a four month period, I booked a, a number of things. I booked a fairly prestigious regional gig that had like a fancy Nancy director, whatever person. Then I booked two episodes of a TV show called The Path on Hulu. And then I got offered a reading, like a workshop sort of thing up in Poughkeepsie for a hundred dollars, right? A musical theater. So it was musical theater, TV and film, musical theater. I did the musical theater three-week rehearsal process. I've never been more miserable in my life at a non-desk job. I was like, this process, this process ain't me. Whatever, whatever is required to do this job well, I don't have it and I have no desire to cultivate it. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to do the work. Plain and simple. I then do this TV show and it's the most incredible professional experience of my career. Everybody was super tight on top of their stuff. The money was way better. But even if the money wasn't better, there was just a level of polish and organization and everybody really being on the same page all the time, technically, that I just thrived in. I was like, oh, we're all at least trying to make the same show here. Whether or not, you know, that's whatever. That's the magic of making art. The result, but like here and now, when I'm at work, we are all trying to be on the same page, and everyone matters, everyone is important. We are all fully in it because there's so much money on the line, you don't have time to like mess around mm-hmm. on set, like you just you just don't because then you pay lots of overages and it's costs. The suits at NBC, a lot of money, so you keep it tight. And I got offered this, and then after that, on the, right on the heels of that, like the last day of shooting, I got offered this $100 workshop. And I'd have to go, I'd have to leave my day job for, a, I have to take a week off of work, which was paying me, at that point, over $1,000 a week. And I'd have to go up to Poughkeepsie to be like random ensemble member for a hundred dollars. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing it straight up. I will not, I will not do this. And it was at that moment I was like, oh, I really don't want to do this work. I just want to do TV and film. And it was, it was really, really freeing 
in a lot of ways creatively. But it was really, really difficult because I had built so many connections and so much clout in the musical theater world. And I had so many reps of like, I knew how the musical theater industry worked at the time. And so to abandon all of that knowledge, I think was the hardest part. Mm -hmm. And it really felt like a trade-off of all of this knowledge and these industry fundamentals I have to let go of because all the knowledge in the world is not resulting in something that makes me feel happy or joyful or nourished or sustained. And because I am ultimately committed to being a performer and a public figure, like that is what I want for the entirety of my life. I refuse to spend even one second of it being unhappy with the process. I won't do it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is true for everything in my life. I will not be unhappy with the process. Mm -hmm. Hey man, I, I, I have to, that's a lot. That's very courageous to like take that leap. I understand that when a lot of people get into one industry and they stay in it for so long and that like, you know what you're saying, that knowledge that you build up, you're just yeah. like, it becomes like your safety net. You're like, Hey, this is what I know. I have to stay here. Yes. But the one thing I think a lot of people don't understand is that that knowledge, you will be able to translate it to something else eventually. You might not, yes. not right off the bat, but eventually you'll get into something new. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, all that knowledge I learned from my musical theater career, yep. I can jump that into something else. I'll and, tell you, uh, I'll yeah, tell it's what? great. I, I didn't under, I sort of like, again, intellectually, like prefrontal cortex totally knew that. Lizard brain had no idea. And the lizard brain always is in the fear. <laughs> right? But it's funny, now that I've started doing the TikTok thing, the muscle memory that I built doing musical theater is exactly the muscle memory that I need to do well on TikTok. No, that is uh, amazing. And the one thing I like, just coming from the comedian yeah. world as a stand-up, I, I understand that whole thing because I've seen so many stand-up comedians. They don't understand that the process doesn't change like you were saying with musical theater, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's write a joke. It's uh, learning how to write a joke, perform yep. it in an audience, and then like kind of polishing it. And yes. all it does, the older you are, I mean, the better, more experienced you get and more successful you get is just you get to do bigger crowds, but the process right. stays the same. So if, like if you don't like that process, it's okay to leave if it's really causing you suffering because why, why suffer why? unnecessarily why? and all that experience you get, like you're saying, so I've seen a lot of guys who just aren't built for stand up, but they go into social media, they go into YouTube, they go into yep. podcasting or something else. And they start developing a lot of success there. Yeah. Right. I saw a great little mindfulness video that I'm going to start using. And it's, if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, just look up at the ceiling. Okay. Okay. You look up at the ceiling, look up at the sky, look up at the stars, whatever it is. And just focus on the point above your head. And then understand that you are the only person looking at that spot from that angle right now. That's and interesting. It's, right. And it's, and it really helps me marry this idea of 
I have a singular worldview. I have a lens through which I see the world by virtue of my experiences. And so does everyone else around me. And this magical thing that we call life is all of us trying to align and collaborate and look at the same point from different angles and coming together. Mm. No, I love that. That's a, that's actually a really good exercise. I should uh, try that out a little bit. I I, I saw that last night and it happened. I was like, I'm kind of stressed. Video comes up. All right, fine universe. You win. Yeah. I served the ceiling for five minutes and it was great. And I got a great night's sleep. (laughs) That was really nice. (laughs) Um, All right. Let's, uh, I do want to talk about, cause like, I think we, I I remember listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about like masculine and feminine Mm -hmm. energies and uh, you explained this so well. And this is something that's um, in the last uh, couple of years. And honestly, since I started this podcast, like uh, I started this podcast, I went on a big ayahuasca retreat and it really put me in touch with uh, honestly, in my world, it was my masculine uh, energies that weren't really expressing that well because uh, I and then I needed to kind of like get that uh, yes! going and yes! so like yeah yeah it was like it, it became oh such God. a big thing and then like in the last couple of years and even on this podcast I'd like to talk about these masculine I, feminine listen, energies it's so I feel it is so misunderstood and the way that I talk about it on podcast in life here's how I distinguish between masculine and feminine energy or sun energy and moon energy yang energy yin energy it's all different words for the same idea Mm. so but i'm going to short for the purposes of the conversation i'm going to shorthand it as masculine feminine okay okay disclaimer the job of masculine energy is to create space so meaning if you and your tribe come up to some woods and you're trying to settle down right and build a whatever well you have to you have to clear away the foliage like you have to chop down trees you have to create space to build shelters right so that's masculine energy's job is to create the space or to weed the garden to pull the weeds up the job of feminine energy is to hold that space so that life can grow in the space that you have created. Mm, I love that. So where you get messed up is if you have only masculine energy, then you're just going to leave a lot of debris in your wake, right? You're like, I am conquering the things and chopping down the trees and creating all of this space, but you're not actually doing anything with it. You're just destroying things Mm -hmm. right but on the flip side if you have an abundance of feminine energy it can be really hard to grow right if you're like i have my little garden and it's it i can keep the wolves away but you start to want to do more things oh but there's there's weeds coming up in the garden i don't know how to get rid of the weeds we need you need the masculine energy to like get in there and just like weed the garden Mm. quickly and efficiently and you're like okay great we have the space cleared now we can plant more things now i can water the things that i care about and ultimately if you're trying to grow as a person as a tribe as a whatever and you have your garden 
you're like, okay, the feminine energy is going to protect what we already have, right? And then the masculine energy is going to clear more space, but it's fine. The tribe is still fine because we still have the shelter of what the feminine energy is holding. And then organically over time, everything grows. Mm. I love that. Honestly, that is such a, uh, that's a great analogy. And like, this is, yeah, this is something I've just been so interested in the last few years. Cause I think for me personally, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, uh, like in my mid twenties and stuff, I got into yoga, I got into meditation. And mm-hmm. I think I, my, I really helped out my fem- feminine energy, like just Holy. being able to stay, be calm, be able to hold space, like you're saying. And yeah. like, that really helped out. And even creatively, uh, creatively, I started like flourishing as well, where I started like being able to like, learn how to write my jokes and become a better comedian. So it was really good at that. Yeah. But it, like you were saying, I love how you were saying like that masculine energy needs to be able to create more space, to be able to grow more, to be able to explore. To like that, that's what was missing for me. And I remember <laughs> when I went on that ayahuasca retreat, that was kind of getting hammered into me. Like you need this, like this energy of um, being assertive and going after what you want. And yes. like, and like it, it, it requires that pushing through, you're pushing through barriers, pushing through fears. And uh, that's the one thing that, uh, that, that ayahuasca really show, uh, showed me and allowed me to express my masculine energy a lot more. That's and now I'm, uh, I'm like trying to like play with both of them where I'm like, okay, I can have a little bit of both because I create more space with my masculine. And then like, I can, like you said, uh, I can like nurture that space and like, have a new place where I can uh, creatively uh, have fun with, right? Yes, yes, and you need both. And this is where, this is where I feel the discourse, understandably, in the last couple of years, has gone a little off the rails, in my opinion. Because I feel like the media narrative these days is so interested in understanding the ways in which masculine energy can be destructive and hurt Mm -hmm. other people and the incentives in our culture to bully people. Like we have a, we, we live in a culture that rewards bullying in a lot of ways and it rewards selfishness and taking what you want. And I think it's absolutely crucial that we understand that those incentives are in play. But I worry that we're sending the message and not being clear enough about the problem is that we're using masculine energy to hurt people. Exactly. Yeah. And that we're using power and status and resources to keep other people oppressed, whether it's women or minorities or people with disabilities or whatever it may be that's that's the problem it's the hurting people it's the punching down people that's the problem it is not the it is not the flavor of the energy Mm -hmm. that's not that's not the issue and i you know i do think that as as men we have a responsibility to understand the ways in which men hurt people and men are often not punished for hurting people. That's a thing we need to understand. Yeah. 
but we have to understand that that's not because they're men and it's not because well masculine energy is obviously just terrible we have to right we have to find ways in our own lives to use it for good Mm -hmm. and to really embody so i i go to a i talked about the running class that i just came from um there's a guy his name is andrew shuff i think that's how you pronounce his last name crushed by andrew you can find him on instagram he's terrific his classes are so hardcore. I can usually do half of them. Like these classes are, they're like cardio and fitness and he does spin classes. His Instagram handle is crushed by Andrew. <laughs> okay. These classes do not mess around. And I grow so much every time I go because there are parameters on how and you know on you can have this really intense masculine energy of like push through the barriers sprint go you know you're going to do a one minute run and then you're going up another you know 0.5 miles per hour and you're going to run for another minute and then you get to then you get to jog whatever right and so because it's in the confines of this class we're in, we're like let's go there's no no one can get hurt in this, right? So you can push yourself, you can have all that masculine energy. It's directed, it's specific, it's confined. And then when the class is over, he's like, great job, you guys. Get some coconut water, make sure you refuel, make sure you stretch, have a wonderful day, take care of yourself, take care of your body, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. And that's like more of a feminine energy exactly. of like rest, uh, nurture, rest, recover, nurture. And quite honestly, it's, and it's not even in the sense of like, well, I worked hard. So I earned the feminine, you know, nurturing it's listen, I, I, I take class with him three or four times a week, depending on my schedule. Today was running. I have a spin class with him tomorrow. If I don't recover today and really take that time to take care of myself, to nourish myself, to give myself the space to just be, I'm not going to be able to get the most out of the class tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to be tired. And that doesn't serve anybody. Exactly. And I, I'm a man, I love that. And <laughs> I wish like, I wish more people can get that. Cause I, I do agree with you that demonization of just that kind of energy is not useful. And, no. it, and it doesn't actually work because like you just end up having people. I, I, I feel like, yeah, and I, I'll give you an example. Like in comedy, in our comedy scenes. Now mm-hmm. I, I see like this masculine and feminine energy getting separated and you, oh I, I see it like now you get rooms where some comedy rooms are just very like feminine energy where it's like, oh, everything's safe. Everything like this is our safe place and stuff. But in those rooms, I don't see any growth. Like people don't grow because there's no taking chances. There's no, you know what I'm talking about? And then in the masculine rooms, like there's like the, it's so masculine energy. It becomes these edgelords and it becomes very cruel. Like you see a lot of that because how you were saying like the masculine energy can destroy. So you see these kind of rooms where it's like becoming like a lot of comedians are just becoming like very cruel 
And it's just like, in that situation, you're just like, God damn, like, I don't like either of these. I, and it's like, you want to, you want to get both of those energies in you because you need both. I'm like legit getting choked up because you articulated my experience in the stand-up world so well, because the class that I was in was very much on the feminine energy side. Mm. But I don't want this edgelord experience. I don't want, I don't want my, my first experience with this thing that I might love to be cruel or punching down or negative or cynical. Like I want to use the art form of stand-up comedy as a vessel for my joy. Mm-hmm. That is, that is the only thing I'm interested in ever is what is the best vessel for my joy right now? So I went with this other class and I was effectively the only straight white male in the group. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was, it was like eight or nine people. I think it was five women, one queer white man and three non-white straight men. Here's, but here's the problem is that I, I didn't get into stand-up to get clapped on. I did not get into stand-up because I wanted people to agree with me. And, but the incentives in that kind of very woke, very feminine energy environment, when the emphasis is on safety, can turn into this like, let me say something that I'm pretty sure my peers are going to agree with, right? If you're, if you're choosing between, I could have this perspective on a joke or I could have that perspective on a joke, the incentives are often to be like, you know what, let me, let me make sure that, I, that if the other people agree with me and I can make it funny, that's the route that I'm going to go all the time. But here's the problem. If you're going to express your, your singular worldview your genuine, most authentic, most individual, unique perspective, by definition, other people are probably going to disagree to some extent or another. Mm -hmm. Because my experience, like, listen, we are both non-white men. Mm -hmm. But our experience as non-white men in Western civil, in Western culture, are totally different. So I'm going to talk about things in a way that, you know, that might not be as PC or might be too PC or might whatever. And also I felt like I had to talk about race a lot. And I had to talk about the ways in which I have been marginalized because of my race and I just didn't want to. You didn't want that. Uh, I, you didn't want the clapter. Like that's like I didn't, people I, like just cheering want, for you because of. I don't yeah. want the clapter. Yeah, I don't, yeah. you know, but, but again, honestly, going back to this idea of like, I want everything that I do to be a vessel for my joy. Mm-hmm. I don't find joy in exploring the ways in which my life is hard for reasons outside of my control. I don't mm-hmm. care. I don't have any interest in investing my energy in that 
when instead I could be investing my energy into getting better, into finding something else, into moving forward in life, mm-hmm. right? And I felt like the incentives in that very safe, woke environment, it was like, well, if you want the laughs, if you want, if you want to get that audience response, the best thing to talk about is like, man, it's really tough to be brown in America these days. I hate that. Dude, that's, uh, that's <laughs> exactly what um, I see in the, like a lot of these kind of rooms. And I, I, I don't like it either. Like I, I've seen it with like a lot of like getting ahead in the scene. But yeah. I hate that they look at brown people or like whatever race yeah. or whatever you whatever, are. Yeah. And they're just like, tell me how you're a victim and we'll elevate that story. And exactly. it's like, hey, we have other stories too. Like we, um, we're, we're still people with a thousand different uh, yes. identities with a thousand different whatever it is. Yeah. Like, let us tell all those other stories. But it seems like they just want to elevate. And right. like me creatively... What yeah. made me grow the most yeah. was talking about my spirituality on stage. And that spirituality doesn't have anything to do with my religion, with my victimhood or it. anything. That was, that's what made me grow the most. And it, it was very hard for me to do that. Yeah. And that was mostly just because I've never seen other comedians talk about it. So that was the reason. Talking right. about my race was kind of easy. And it, um, mm-hmm. that's how I learned to be a comedian. Mm-hmm. Um I grew, I was a brown guy, grew up in a small town, Muslim dude, like all of these things. I, I was, e- it was easy to kind of find, uh, it mm-hmm. was, just, it's the same with sex. Like it's easy to kind of find like uh, the, the funny in that. And that's how yeah. I learned to be a comedian. And I have zero regrets about that. Totally. But when I needed to grow, I needed to right. talk about something different. And uh, that, that's kind of the thing. And I, 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 that's the one thing that annoys me. It's like, as a brown comedian, sometimes it's like I feel like they want me to tell the victimhood yep. story, and that's how yeah. the, I'll elevate my career. Yeah, and I fucking hate that. <laughs> right, like I don't know. I I I won't. I'm I'm very lucky in the sense that because my parents are white, and because I don't have I have no relatives who look like me. Not one. Um, heritage wise, you know, in terms of like my parents, parents and whatnot, I'm Sicilian and Scottish and Dutch and English and Irish. And I'm all, I'm all of those things. And so it's a little easier for me to be like, if somebody wants me to like, well, what's it like, like being Brown in America and like how that's hard. I'm like, that's not my story. It just, I, there's nothing I can really say about it because I never grew up like, I guess, cosmetically I'm Brown, but culturally I don't have that story of like first generation immigrant, you know, immigrant parents, first generation American at home. I eat samosas, but at school I eat Lunchables. How do I reconcile the two? And I'm like, that's, luckily that's not my story so i it's easy for me to pivot away from that Mm. um you know but there there are lots of times where i do feel like my humor is is more i don't know i don't know that i want to say geared towards if if i it's the same jokes that just any white dude would tell Mm -hmm. they're not 
there's there's not a difference like any of my jokes that I have written with the with the exception of the very very specific my parents are adopted and they're very understanding mm-hmm. with the exception of that one joke any joke that I wrote could be told by a suburban white dude and that in and of itself I have subjectively found in the more woke environments that kind of clangs they're not it's like wait a minute this is is this a white dude joke is this yeah yeah yeah, wait why isn't why isn't and also because i am adopted and my my parents only speak english i don't i i don't even have an accent Mm -hmm. it's not it's not like i'm telling a joke about covid or something but if i'm talking about it like this like oh okay well he's obviously indian yeah 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 right it's it's just no i I mean, I wear t-shirts and backwards hats and chunk, you know, chunky jewelry because I grew up in Albuquerque. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Albuquerque, yeah. I grew up in Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that does sound uh, actually like a very, I don't even know where Albuquerque is. No, is but it, it just sounds like that. It's in, it's, in, uh, it's in New Mexico. It's in New Mexico. Okay. <laughs> I, I just know it from the Simpsons when yep. the, uh, we know Albuquerque, yes. when the baseball team was going to move Yo, there. As a uh, side the note, isotopes. <laughs> yes. Dude, no, that's our baseball team. It's called the Isotopes? Yes. We oh. were the, we have a minor league team. We used to be called the Albuquerque Dukes. And then they went through a rebrand and they got sold to a different team. And when they were going through suggestions, like what should we name our, uh, our baseball team? They were flooded with, we should be the Albuquerque isotopes. And we have a national lab and a big science community and that worked. And the Albuquerque isotopes is a real baseball team. <laughs> That's amazing. Huh? I'll go have to check them out if I'm ever in uh, Albuquerque. You, ever have, you gotta do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, yo, Raja, we've been like talking a ton on like yeah. there's so much shit I didn't uh, get to, but it's um, all good. Yeah. What do you, let's. All right. Well, like before we get going, about? I, I there's yeah, two things I like. I know you're, a, you talk about personality types a ton. Yes. Like you're, you mm-hmm. know a lot about that. And yeah. you know a lot about trying, or like, you try to live an intentional life, right? Yes. So like, uh, yeah. So uh, I, I did want to jump on both of those. I don't let's know talk which about one. It. Yeah. So what, what let's talk you... about the personality type one. Okay. So like, let my, I know. Uh, yeah. Let my audience know about yeah. like, what these personality types are and why it's, it's a good thing to kind of understand uh, those personality types. I love it. I love it. So the personality types, I, my expertise is in Myers-Briggs which is the four letters like ENTJ and ISFP and all of the whatever. Mm-hmm. And the very, very brief rundown is the EI is extrovert, introvert. Okay. You have, and again, that's just sort of where your energy naturally wants to go, okay. right? Or is your impulse to expend energy or conserve energy? Okay. That's all it is. Okay. Um, the N versus S is... And Dave, just to jump on that, do you yeah. see any kind of masculinity, femininity there? Like I extrovert, don't. you don't? Okay. Not at all. Okay. I, I think that, which is, and that's actually weirdly kind of why I like it is because to me, it feels inherently very gender neutral. Okay. Right? And we have plenty of archetypes of very outgoing men, right? You have the Kevin Hart's and the Jamie Foxes of the world and the mm-hmm. Will Smith's. But you also have 
the strong silent type and you have the gary coopers and the marlboro mans and the very right so these are and then and again same for same for women you have you have the oprahs of the world and you also have well for women it's a little tougher just because of sexism in our culture but there's plenty of archetypes of like the the nerdy genius like fairly mm-hmm. introverted brilliant you know author woman for mm-hmm. instance right yeah. so that in in that respect i don't actually in all the respects thinking and feeling maybe a little bit but for sexist reasons um but for the intuition and sensing it's are you more uh effortlessly attuned right the key word being effortless okay are you effortless are you more effortlessly attuned to the actual sensory literal details of something or the connections between the sensory details okay Can so, you explain so that meaning yeah, yeah totally so like are you more interested in the literal or the analogy okay that's the that's the easiest way to put it okay. right so i i am an n i have n in my stack whatever um because i'm i'm an analogy machine i've made 17 analogies in this podcast alone right makes sense all right okay. right so i'm like oh this thing ah i get it this thing is like this other thing yeah okay right? that I'm sounds not, me like I'm, me too <laughs> right right i'm not as interested in seeing the things as being individual whatever Right. I, I get what you're saying. Like, I, I guess like, a more engineering mind would be like, okay, this thing is this yes, kind this, of thing. And, yes, and this like, widget is this widget does this widget and this thing goes okay, here. And this sense. piston does that. Right. Okay. And then there's the T and the F. This one is where everybody gets screwed up. The T versus the F. The way that I think of it is. Um, it's not about emotions as much as it's about like, it's not about like being emotional or not. It's, do you justify your emotions based on like reasons and logic and sort of the block banging? Mm -hmm. Or do you justify it based on values? Like this is important, this matters. Rather than does this, does the logic line up? Does this, does this thing logically follow this other thing? But it has nothing to do with like, well, I'm an F because I'm so emotional. No, motherfucker, you're human. Everyone's emotional. Welcome <laughs> to being a human. <laughs> like, that's not, you yeah. don't get a cookie for being emotional. It's, <laughs> it's how do you funnel those, emo- how do you justify those emotions? Okay. Right. And then the last one, the P versus J I don't, that one's where you get kind of screwed up and I don't love the definitions, but basically it's, do you, do you thrive more with structure or freedom? Given the two, you know, given a choice, would you rather have more structure or more freedom? Okay. And that actually... Yeah, that's a great thing to kind of know about yourself because a- I'm uh, I'm actually even trying to think about that. And I'm like, uh, sometimes I'm like, nope, structure is really good for me. But other yeah. times uh, I'm like, I yeah. became a comedian. Like in my head, I'm like for freedom, but, well, but sometimes too much of that freedom. Like, well, I, one of the things that I love about stand-up comedy is because it, it, I get to create 
the joke. I get to create as much structure as I want. Mm. Right. So I am not, when I did the stand-up thing, I got, I don't do crowd work. I'm not a crowd work guy. I want to write the tightest sketches and jokes that I possibly can. Mm. I want to know the rhythm. I want to know every single word. I want to be able to see the arc of the thing. So the key in all of this is understanding your default impulses, right? And being able to go, so like I am, I go back and forth on the E and the I because I'm, I'm pretty split with the extroversion, introversion, but I'm solidly a pattern analogy dude. I'm solidly a logic does this block bang together, right? Okay. Well, logically, if I want to, if I want to book this part, then logically I have to get up at a certain time and go to the audition more okay. than, no, this audition really matters to me. And so therefore I'm going to do it. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. And I like the structure. Right. So I'm like ENTJ or INTJ. Here's okay. the catch. My job, once I know this, is to be able to go, okay, I go into a new situation. This is my impulse. My impulse is to expend energy, to find analogies, to make the logic work, and to find the structure. Then I have to go, do all four of these serve me right now? And if it doesn't, if I'm like, oof, you know what this situation, this is not a logic situation. This is a conversation about values. This person is talking about something that really matters to them. You know what? T is not the right tool for this job. I need to tap into my F. Mm. So I think everybody has access to all eight all the time. Okay. So, and uh, I guess that like, like you were saying, it's really good to kind of understand where you naturally just flow to. Yes. And then when the situation doesn't call for it to be able to be like, let me, yeah, let me go yeah. into the other side of it. You know, listen, I love structure, but I've also learned. So like, for instance, for this podcast, just to, to pull back the green curtain for a second, I have learned how much structure I need to thrive because I don't need all the structure. I don't need to know all the questions, but I do need to know what time are we starting? About how long do you want to go for? Usually I ask if we're allowed to swear. I forgot to ask this time. Ha, 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 ha. Eh, whatever. You sweared first. So I, cause whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but be, but I've learned that like, oh no, my impulse is to over control and it doesn't get me the result I want. So let me find a couple of knobs that I know that I can set that I, that are really, really important to me. And then everything else, let it flow. And that's ultimately going to get the best result in mm. everything that I do. But it's taken time to learn, like, these are my default impulses. These are the muscles that aren't as strong for me. And it really is me being able to go, okay, let me, let me not put myself in situations where I have to be introverted, focus on sensory details with no analogies, be only based on values and value freedom. Like that's, that would be really hard. For, it's a great, it's a great thing to practice from time to time, but I don't want that to be my job. Oh, okay. right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, 
I know that I have these muscles. I can access them when I need them. But if I feel like there's an environment or a scenario that's really requiring a lot of a muscle that just doesn't flow as easily, maybe it's not the right thing. Like YouTube is not the right thing for me because it requires me to be so detail-oriented and very, the process is is a very inwardly turned process. Mm. And I can do that from time to time, but it's not my favorite. And it's not something I can build a career on. But TikTok rewards me for punches of energy. It, It rewards me for making analogies. It rewards me for thinking things through and like giving the clear logic of something and putting it all in a nice 14.6 second package. (laughs) So that rewards me for things that flow. And I'm like, oh, this is a thing really worth investing in. But it doesn't mean that if something, if a piece of chaos comes up, like I, the, my first video that did really well got hit with a community guidelines violation. I thought I was following the rules. Apparently I wasn't, I don't know. And so then I had to learn to be like, well, I'll have another hit, whatever. Let me keep making videos. It's fine. Nice. And that's where my inner Jay wanted to be like, no, learn the rules better. No, there's no, there's no rules to learn. You just said it, it happened. We all get hit with community. Like it's some, if you're creating content on any platform, you're going to get demonetized. You're going to have a community guidelines violation. That's just a thing that's going to happen to you. And so it happens and then you move on Mm. and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hey man. All right. I, I love that. Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for explaining that to my audience. I, uh, yeah. I think I'm going to have to take that uh, test just to, I think you'd, I think you'd like it. And then yeah. again, understand it as this, even if it's just like, this is where I'm at today. Mm. Right. I think that's a really useful way to look at it. Be like, Ooh, I have got a lot of ENT. I got a lot of extroversion today. Okay. Good to be aware of. Let me be mindful of whether or not that's serving me as I go throughout my day. That's yeah, that's a great way to look at it. No, I love that. And I like you were saying, like, that's very intentional, like understanding like this is, uh, yeah, it helps uh, uh, where you want to put your energy. Exactly. Uh, all right, Raja, yeah. this was freaking awesome. I got one was, more question. It's hit the me, name talk of the to podcast. me. So, uh, Raja, yep. God, yay or nay? Hardcore, unambiguous, yay. Yay, okay. Nice, nice. Uh, is this something yeah. that, uh, is this something yeah. from uh, family or is it more no, of like something you developed um, yourself? You know, they've been my family is so open-minded and wonderful and spiritual in ways that I don't even know that they fully recognize. Like they are, they really are such an embodiment of how to move through the world and how to treat people and how to be kind and considerate and authentic. And they, I mean, they're, they are godly by any reasonable metric. That's awesome. But as far as my personal faith, I, I definitely veer more occulty. Um, I'm, I'm very into ritual. I'm very into, and even with, with the major religions, the stuff that I love about it are the more ritualized pagan aspects of it. That's why I love Catholicism. I think Catholicism is so dope 
because for whatever like cell memory reason, whenever I am go to a Catholic mass and it's the smells and bells, it's the drinking of the, like drinking the blood and eating and the, I'm like, and there's like a torture device, like in the middle of the cathedral. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this takes me back. Like this, like it really does connect with something like really, really primal. Mm. I am not interested in the, the ways in which humans pervert religious teachings to further their own material goals Mm. right and how they use teachings and scriptures and whatnot to oppress other people and to harm other people that gets that gets a nay from me dog (laughs) but no but at at its core like i he and and i think he here's what here's what i'll end on there's a guy his name is mike flanagan he did haunting of hill house midnight mass his genre is what i have heard called horror therapy and I love his work. His work is, is incredible. And my big takeaway from his work, and it's really how I choose to move through the world, is like this. The world is as magical and as wonderful as we choose to believe that it is. And even though loss and grief are ongoing processes, our job on this planet is to find joy in our everyday life. Hey, can't complain about that philosophy, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Roger, thanks so much. This was amazing. Uh, please let my audience know uh, where they can get a hold of you. Tell them about your TikTok, totally, podcast, yeah. anything else. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram, TikTok, uh, at the Jolly Raja. I like that name. The Jolly, <laughs> R-A-J-A. I'd love yeah. to see you guys on there. Awesome. Uh, yo, thanks. Uh, thanks a ton, Raja. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. I think we have so much more to talk. We about. have so much more to talk about. Thanks for the great conversation. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, newerkidy.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.